Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. This week, the podcast will feature a guest speaker, Kurt Mackey. Kurt spoke at Sky Valley Ministries 2022 Refresh Bible Conference. To learn more about Kurt and his ministries, please visit our website at svmin.com slash refresh 2022. Wow, what an encouragement. Thank you, Sky Valley. Good morning. And I am honored to be here. After that worship experience this morning, if we get to worship with these guys, like I'm the least interesting thing this week, come for the worship experience. These guys are amazing as the Spirit works through you. So, wow. I am just excited. I am glad to be here, Wally. It's been a fun thing to get to know him, and it's great to be back here with you in California. It was 34 degrees uh, in Texas when I left yesterday, so I'm very thankful to get off the plane here in a beautiful country like this. I am wonderful to be here with you. So, as by way of introduction, let me just ask you a question. When was the last time you played the game Monopoly? Right? It's like we all have it in our closet, but it's probably been a while since you've played it. And I was thinking about, well, why is that? Because nobody has five hours to devote to an evening, right? <laughs> that's, a lo- that's a long game. But we all know the game, and we all sort of have it somewhere, or it's at Grandma's house. It's up there in that ratty box and all of that. So Monopoly's interesting, though, because when it was originally designed over 100 years ago, it was designed as a game called the Landlord's Game. Did you know that? And it was designed to teach the evils of monopolies. It was supposed to be an anti-monopolistic game, teaching you how bad it is to dominate everybody else. But slowly, people began to sort of modify it and tweak it, and Parker Brothers eventually grabbed the newfangled version, which was all about sticking it to everybody else. (laughs) Right? And so the game that we've inherited, that we know, is exactly the opposite from the original intent. And I just find that interesting how things can morph and change and shift from the, from the original intent and meaning. So as, as um, Pastor was just saying here, I, I come from being a pastor, I get to be on a, on a missions organization, I'll talk more about this this week, but I get to go around the world and around our country working with churches, helping them clarify again, what is the purpose of the church and, and where are you going and how are you doing? And I get to do that in a variety of ways, and I'll talk about this week. But when Jesus started the church, the question I'm wrestling with is, what was the initial envisionment of what did he really want to see happen in the local church? What was the original DNA of the church, and where is it at today? And this week, we're going to unpack some of the the grand issues that we're facing here in North America and around the world in terms of the church, its health, and where it's going. So it'll be a fun week. I hope you'll come join us. And again, come for the worship team, if nothing else. It's going to be great. Consultants that work with organizations, whether businesses, churches, nonprofits, whatever it is, they they ask two fundamental questions. And the first one, you can fill this in on your outline this morning. First question is this, what's your business? Are you clear on what's your business? Companies have mission statements. Nonprofits have mission statements. The Church of Jesus Christ, I believe, has a mission statement. 
I think it's summed up well in, in two passages of Scripture. The first one is this, in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. It's the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of Matthew, just before Jesus left to go be with the Father, he gave this to the disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So basically, Jesus boils down the whole purpose of his kingdom and of his people to love God, love others, and make disciples. That's the agenda. And as he was leaving, he showed these guys, I love the the thought, that Jesus took 12 guys, went camping for three years, right? I mean, he was just with them day in, day out, teaching them, but then he would send them on little excursions. Hey, try this. I've taught you this. Go do some on-the-job training, and then come back, and we'll debrief. It was an experiential curriculum that Jesus took them on, and after three years of doing this, it's like, okay, I'm leaving. Holy Spirit's going to come, and then whoosh, you guys are supposed to take this around the world. That's the agenda. And so in Acts chapter 2, as the story unfolds, the Holy Spirit falls on these disciples. They are lit up. They finally figure out all those teachings, all begin to make sense, and boom, they explode and they go. Well, friends, if we're still followers of Jesus today in 2022, that the agenda is still the same. Love God, love others, make disciples. That's our business. And it's still our mission Even here in the greater Palm Springs area, the greater Los Angeles area, we are still here to love God, love others, and make disciples, followers of Jesus. That's the first issue. Second issue is this. Second question consultants ask. First one is, what's your business? Second one, how's business? How's it going? What help do you need? Around the world right now in what is called the global south, Countries like Latin America, Asia, Africa, parts of the Middle East, followers of Jesus are multiplying in the millions. You're not going to see this on the news. You're not going to watch this on, on public television, etc. This is the, but the stories that come from, from the mission organizations where this is ha- where they're noticing and training that people are literally having movements of the gospel where it's being transmitted up to four times without any help at all. Somebody tells somebody, somebody tells somebody, and it begins to explode. Small groups are forming all over the world. People are discussing the Bible. Jesus is showing up in dreams and visions to people in the Muslim world. There's amazing things happening around the world. God is on the move. However, what's happening here in what we call the global north is a different story, isn't it? North America, Europe, and Russia I've just been in Russia and Ukraine, kind of a hot spot, if you will, around the world right now, just a few months ago doing some consulting over there. God is at work, but it's, it's, it's a different pace. And I'm concerned. I want that pace to look more like the global south. I want the north to have a revival again, amen? A major finding from Barna's, uh, Barna's a group that researches the church and 
In one of their articles called Translating the Great Commission, they, they find this, that more than half of U.S. churchgoers across North America have not even heard of the Great Commission that I just read you. It's right there in our scriptures, and somehow we miss the agenda that Jesus has for us. So what I get to do as a, as a missionary to the church, I get to help churches clarify the mission and then expand the mission. And I do that by traveling and consulting and coaching and all kinds of fun things. As Pastor said, it's, it's, it's quite an encouragement. It's really been a blessing. I'm enjoying You'll hear more about that this week. David Bosch in his really important book, Transforming Mission, said this. He said, there is a church because there is a mission, not vice versa. Said another way, by Tim Dearborn, he said, it's in your notes, it is not the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. And if the church is not living on mission as a mission, it is not living as the church was intended to be. Data on churches here in the North America are very, very depressing. We are in a steep decline. This is not news to you. But as I look at some of the statistics, we're seeing between 100 and 200 churches are closing per week, and that's before COVID. And COVID is, is, has amplified that experience. The U.S. government reports that between 2012 and 17, a little more than 30,000 churches closed in North America. Now, at the same time, there are, there are thousands of churches that are starting, that are planting. One of my roles is I get to shepherd a whole number of church planters from Texas all the way to Florida. So I, I'm watching these young bucks that, that have the vim and vigor and the power of the Spirit to start something new in a challenging culture. And there's lots of those things happening as well, but there's still a net between two and 6,000 churches that we're losing annually. We've got to reverse this trend. But I want you to do this. Here's a thought experiment. Imagine these trends continue. Ten years from now, what will Sky Valley be like? What will Palm Springs be like? What will Los Angeles be like in the greater, and what will the United States be like in terms of marriages, drug use, abuse, neglect of children, violence, greed, oppression? Lord, help us. The church must rise again and be influential in our culture. But we are now in a, and we'll talk more about that this week, we are now in a culture that is neutral to hostile, not neutral to positive in terms of the church, what it stands for, and what its mission is. We are in a new day. And we're going to unpack that this week. I still believe God is on the move, though. But it's going to look different in the coming generations. My thesis is, based on the church missiologists and the theologians that are wrestling with this problem, this challenge is this, that the culture we're engaging today and moving into is much like the culture of the first 300 years of the church experience. In the first 300 years, they were living in a polytheistic culture that was hostile to its, to its engagement, and they yet thrived in that environment. We're going to have to learn from the first three centuries and not from the last 1,500 years of Christendom. And we're going to unpack some more of that this week. But if I can do this this morning, I'd like to give you a quick, like, five-minute tour of church history. Can we do that? going to zip you through the whole thing and give you my, my 30,000-foot overview of what I think has been going on. In the first three centuries of the church, 
Christianity, if you will, was a vibrant kingdom-advancing movement. And it literally moved. People passed on the faith because they lived like Jesus, they talked about Jesus, they emulated Jesus, and it was contagious even in the midst of the oppression of the Roman Empire, and it moved. The Spirit was wide awake with the people. They were tuned in, and the Spirit moved. And people lived on mission daily. And they loved in the midst, they loved the babies that were abandoned. They loved the sick that nobody would touch. They literally moved into places acting like Jesus. And it was contagious. And after a few hundred years of doing this, essentially, the, the Roman world says, well, this, this the way, this Jesus movement stuff doesn't seem to be going away. We've tried to stamp it out. It seems to be here to stay. I guess we'll work with it. And what essentially happened is they legalized it, if you will, when Constantine was the emperor, and suddenly this underground movement moves, takes some pagan sensibilities, it grabs some of the political stuff, it morphs it into this new institution, and it went from movement to institution. And instead of the agenda being living like Jesus in the world, it became how do we prop up and instigate an institution? And so the practices of personal spiritual rhythms and emulating the life of Jesus and moving and living on mission shifted to governing and maintaining an institutional church. So my first year as a pastor, it was about 1996. I was 30 years old, brand new, fresh out of seminary. My wife and I had this beautiful little baby. We pop into this church and they said, okay, I want you to reach the next generation, but don't change anything, right? <laughs> Whew. 18 years later, we changed everything, but that's another story. But in the first week that I was there, I was getting to know some people, and this, this woman, probably 75 years old, maybe 80, she approached me, oh, pastor, so glad that you're here. My name is so-and-so, and I just want to let you know I love this church. I've been in this church for, she talked about like 45 years. We've been in Sunday school together for, for all of these years, and we've gone through the Bible curriculum. I've been through the Bible like 25 times you know, in the curriculum over all of those years. And she was so proud, and I was so excited for her. I said, oh my goodness, that is marvelous. Well, tell you what, I'm going to give an altar call on Sunday, so would, given all of your background and your training, would you come and just be part of the prayer team to pray for some people when they come forward? And her eyes went like saucers, and she said, oh, I could never do that. I said, oh, what's the problem? And she said this, I'll never forget it. She says, oh, pastor, I could never do that. I don't know enough. What? 45 years of Bible study and you don't know enough to pray for somebody? And right then I realized something's fundamentally broken. This institution that we've perpetuated, we, we, we teach, we educate, but we don't expect anything to happen because we've made it about knowledge and information instead of a life. And I went, oh my goodness, and that first 10 years of being there was rough because I'm trying to shift us from just content to actually a life, a, a discipleship model where we, where we live into this stuff and not just know it. In The Forgotten Ways, Alan Hirsch has done a great job of capturing, he thinks, are several critical shifts we have to take. I'm gonna unpack those with you. He's a great missiologist, he's connected to our movement, to our team. 
And I think he's on to something. So, so allow me to give you some prescriptions that I think are helpful for the church here in the 21st century where we're going to have to go if we're going to make an impact in the world that we live in. So here, we need to know this. First is we're going to have to shift from church-centered to being mission-centered. So pastor, I'm even looking at you, Walt. We're going to have to shift, myself included, from this whole all-consuming focus on a weekly event to literally helping people live as disciples as a way of life. It's a very different emphasis. And I confess, you know, when I was a pastor for years, the, the energy of this institution is it's Monday, Sunday's coming. What's the sermon? What's the topic? We, we meet as staff. We prep the music, the worship, the team, the PowerPoints. The whole energy is to Sunday. We deliver. Boom, it's a big day. It's the Super Bowl every Sunday. And then crash and burn and do it again. That was the rhythm I lived for 18 years. The whole emphasis is have an amazing morning. I'd ask people sometimes Sunday afternoon, what was the message about? They're like, I don't know. We, we talked for a little bit over the salad at lunch. and I, Something about something. I spent all week like preparing. We're going to have this amazing experience. And people are like, I don't know. I don't know. I forgot. And as a preacher, as a content deliverer, I'm a teacher by training that, and by gifting. So it's hard to admit that all that prep and training isn't landing, is not forming people to be like Jesus. We're just educating. People go, that's interesting. And now I'm in the business, because I think churches and pastors and all of us in the kingdom, we've got to be in the business of forming lives, not just having weekly events. Are we still friends? Are we okay? All right. Second one is this, a shift in method from pulpit to person. That whole model is get a gifted speaker, get, get this professional exegete, scripture, Bible knowledge person, and then they're going to like do the goods, right? And the training I received in church growth was just get people to the church and the professional will do the business. I was trained, that, that's how it was. Get bodies in the building, professional leader makes the sale, boom, we make disciples. And by the way, when you're in a church that thinks like that, you, you, in terms of making disciples, it's easy to say, yeah, our church does that because Pastor Walt is so good, he's going to give the altar call. And I think the shift, Alan Hirsch thinks the shift, Novo, my mission, mission organ, the shift is we got to all learn how to love people into the kingdom. It's not a Sunday thing, it's a Monday through Saturday thing. We can do this. We've got to equip our people, equip all of us to tell our redemption stories, to learn to listen to the stories of others. And sometimes we evangelicals, we, we talk a lot. We have to learn to listen. And when the spirit pinches, now we speak, right? We have to learn how to hear. When, when do I engage? When do I just love and listen? Discerning how to challenge others to an individual growth of transformation from the inside out. And to minister through relational connections. Learning how to say, Holy Spirit, come on me for empowerment for today. Each and every day is a day where God may use me. I'm open. Let's go. Bring it. Spirit, come on me as I minister. Third shift. From learner to doer. As we've talked about a little bit, the emphasis has been on what do we know and how do we communicate what we know 
And how effectively can I explain what I know? And if discipleship is just knowledge, we've moved a long way from the model of Jesus. Remember, Jesus taught, and then he would send them because it was all about training to do life in the kingdom. Not just learning knowledge. And I have to confess, I would read Paul. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And I just assumed it means know the doctrines like Paul knows doctrines. So I was really into doctrine. Doctrine's really important. It guides us. But if the point is doctrine, we've missed it because the point is a life like Jesus on mission to help others come into this glorious kingdom that we sang about already. And so reality is Bible schools and seminaries and all of it's going to have to get re-engaged to not just deliver content, but to help people live the life. And I think the world is starving for real, authentic followers of Jesus to live the life. Number four, a shift in posture from spectator to participant. It's easy to come and have wonderful chapel experiences and to come to churches and have an amazing worship team and speakers and, and to basically go and go to an event and then say, that was amazing. And we rate the event and then we come back and do it again every seven days. But, but it's time that we be learning to live on mission, which means even the leaders, the pastors, need to be out of the office actually learning how to live on mission as well. I love that a lot of young pastors I work with, they actually do their sermon prep in a Starbucks these days. They're not sitting in an office somewhere hidden from people, they're actually being with people, rubbing shoulders and life on life, we like to say, so they can begin to connect with people. They learn to hear the stories and the pains of real people and their message is informed by life in the real world. It's time that leaders get out of the office and get back into the world from spectator to participant. We all get to play in this kingdom experience. Finally, number five, a shift in power source from the natural to the supernatural. Now, we live in a world of principles and, and about science and truths and medicine and management techniques, and all of those things are actually wonderful things unto themselves, but, but sometimes churches can be so good at management I wonder if we've even forgotten that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be there too. In fact, one very influential pastor was asked in an interview, they said, well, what is one distinctly spiritual about the leadership that you do? And this, this pastor actually said, well, really nothing. Because it's all basically management and leadership techniques that I've learned and mastered. And I get that because at one level, the larger an organization, you need management. I mean, those are good things, but... But if we're running churches simply like corporations without the power of the Spirit, I think we're on a dangerous tack. The question becomes, the haunting question, if the Holy Spirit left our church, would anybody notice? <laughs> One missiologist I was talking to said, I think we're at the end of the experiment of doing church without prayer. I went, whoa. Because we plan and we have our management, we have our techniques and we run our systems as if we're just corporate people and we have not been bathing all that we do in the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. It's time we wake up on that. The Apostle Paul said the kingdom of God is not a lot of talk. It is living by God's what? Power. Hmm. What does that mean? 
I think we have to lean into that. I think it's time to normalize a life again that says, Holy Spirit, you want to use me and do things through me that are even outside my comfort zone. And I actually believe we're in a world that doesn't want to, truth is not, is, is, is out today. You realize that, right? Postmodern philosophy says there is no truth. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, it cuts through all of that. The world is aching to see followers of Jesus live lives of authentic commitment to three things, word, deed, and power. What if we were known as the people that prayed for other people? Let me give you an example. So I was in my missionary training four years ago with Novo. We were actually at a conference. Novo does, it's great, Novo does these worldwide conferences every four years. They bring in all the missionaries. It's about 600 of us field workers. They bring in to one place. It's usually an exotic location. One time it's Hong Kong, and then it's somewhere in Malaysia, and it's going to be somewhere exciting in Europe. And so I'm, oh, I can't wait. When I join this new organization, where's the fun trip going to be? Where's the big exotic location? North Carolina. What? <laughs> That's not exotic. Asheville, North Carolina. Some of you might know where that is. I didn't know where that was. I had to get a couple small planes to get there. Well, it turns out, it was beautiful, by the way. It was in the, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I guess that's what they call it, right? Blue Ridge Mountains, and it was the forest. It was gorgeous. It was a wonderful experience, actually. But it's also the New Age capital of Carolina. I didn't know that. But as we went downtown, my team went downtown. Let me, let, before we went downtown, here's what happened. One of our workshops, there was about 50 of us that came to a workshop on how to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit for healing for lost people. Woo. So my whole team showed up. And we learned and we practiced for two hours how to pray for people that the Holy Spirit would come as a way of evangelism, pre-evangelism to lost people. So we practice, we do it, we tried on each other, some stuff actually happened, some people felt better. It was kind of an amazing thing. Actually, God seemed to heal my back for the day. It was quite an amazing thing. So now all of us have left the, there and gone to an expensive burger restaurant. Can I, can I, okay. You ever been to these hipster exotic food places, you know what I'm talking about, where the food's really high and it's really expensive, right? And, and all the waiters are, you know, bearded and tatted and the whole shebang, right? So, so there we are, New Age Capital, North Carolina, expensive burger joint, and we're all sitting around the biggest table in the room. There's nine of us in the center table. And here's what happens. Our waitress comes out. Now, let me just say it this way. By the accoutrements in her demeanor and on her arms and the tats and the things and the expression and the things written on pins and things, it was clear she was not a follower of Jesus. Can I just say it that way? <laughs> I'm, not again, I'm not saying all that stuff necessarily bad, but, the, but the, what she was communicating was I'm pretty much a full-blown pagan. Get the idea? Very nice gal. Now, we notice that she's got an ace bandage on her ankle. Now, I've just been to a training on how to pray for lost people, and all of a sudden it dawns on me, oh no, Jesus, not here. <laughs> no, not, not now. And I start to sweat. Really great missionary, right? Like I'm all great man of God. No, I'm, oh Jesus, no, please no. No, no, no. I look at my guy across the table, he goes, Yep. And we all knew it was game on. Okay, so here's what happens. Pagan girl takes our order. The brave guy across the table, not me. The brave guy says, excuse me, ma'am. We're, um, we're followers of Jesus. 
and we know he loves you, and, and we've noticed that your ankle seems to have a problem. Would you mind if we just pray for you, like lay hands and ask God's power to touch your ankle? You know what she said? Sure. <laughs> Threw her leg right up on the chair. Boom. <laughs> it was awesome, right? And I'm like, oh, and now I'm going, Jesus, you have got to show up. Because your name is on the hook. We look foolish. The whole thing is awkward, right? And two of us very gently just said, may we, and they asked the question, may we put our hand on your ankle? That's the polite and right thing to do. We got permission. She said, absolutely. A couple of them prayed. Really simple. Lord Jesus, you love this daughter of yours. I pray that you would touch her ankle right now, that you'd knit the sinews back together. And he had a few other thoughts there. Boom, 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 done in Jesus' name. Nothing freaky, nothing Although it's freaky and weird because the oxygen has left the restaurant. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everybody is looking. What is going on in the center table? You know what God does? He shows up. She wiggles her ankle. And she says, oh my gosh, it's fine. Right? Now she takes her tray to the back of the room with this look on her face like, what just happened? And I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Now, like it worked. Huh. If I lived there, I would have been back there four days later another expensive burger, and I would have said, hey, whatever her name was, how are you doing? And we would have continued a conversation because I believe when the Spirit shows up, it cuts through all the other malarkey of the culture. I think we're going to have, but see, that's how they operated in the first 300 years. They just went out and did the stuff. It's time we recapture, I think how to live on mission. Can you imagine if we're the people that just go around asking how we can pray for people and why? It, no, God's, it's God's agenda. God's the one who does the healing. God shows up. We just got to be faithful to show up and ask and see what God will do. It was quite a lesson for me. And so my key phrase, I've been trying to lean in, and I'm trying to look for people in my life now where I can just ask, may I pray for you? and see what God will do on mission. Because he does it as a way to show that he loves people. His kingdom breaks in a little bit. What if we saw the church gathered on Sunday for training and encouraged, and then as we leave, we're the church scattered on mission. All of us then live like missionaries where we live, work, and play. That sounds like a New Testament expression of the church. I think it's time we get there. Gathered and scattered. So the church is going to have to prioritize training and development that's equipping people and empowering people and mobilizing people for ministry as its core activity over just gathering and listening, teaching, and then just sending with no agenda. We want to be sent on mission. So here's a couple examples from the work of my team. It's a church we've worked with in, um, in the Dallas area church went through our process of the missional pathway. They were learning how to engage people to send them on mission to the city. They interviewed city leaders. What are the needs of our city? And the city council said to this pastor, you know, there's a, there's a section of your community, they call it the 805. I don't know why it was on the map. They call it the 805 section. That was a dilapidated, kind of a rundown, blighted part of the city. 
and it's two blocks from your church location. Would you, as a church, would you just go love that section of our city? And the pastor said, absolutely. So they did what was called uh, code enforcement. When I first heard that, I thought, you're going to go bust people? What kind of a loving thing is that? I don't know. So it turns out code enforcement is when you, you, go, you walk around the street and you notice that the fence is broken or the gate doesn't work or the, the paint is chipping off that house and you knock on the door and said, hi, we're here to love and bless you. Can we fix your fence? And the people go, who are you? Oh, we're just some followers of Jesus. We go to this church down the street, but that's not important. We're just here to love you. Can we, can we fix your fence or your gate or whatever it is? And people say, what's the catch? There's no, there's no catch. Here's, we have a bunch of tools. See, the city was like, you're going to do that? Here's a bunch of paint buckets. Here's some, here's some tricks. Like, they gave them all the tools. And this church would go week after week through the 805, and, and they'd have a barbecue in the middle of the street, and they'd have hot dogs and this and that, and kids would play, and they would just, and they'd go around blessing and loving practically skeptical people. But over weeks of doing this, people are like, oh, that's the, those are the good people. We, we like them around here. Now, as they're fixing the fences and doing things like that, they would also ask, hey, um, is there anything we can pray for you for? Well, yeah, Uncle Jimmy's got a bad leg in the back, and yeah, can we go pray for Uncle Jimmy? Yeah, I guess. See, pagans are really open to people praying for him because it's like, it's just what, in the pagan world, it all could be whatever. We don't know, so bring it. If it works, great. We actually have the truth and the power of the Spirit. So this church now is just loving and serving and blessing people. And by the way, the city's getting better, looking a little nicer. The city loves that. Property value is kind of increasing because it doesn't look so blighted. They're starting to pray for people, and, and God starts doing some things, and people start becoming followers of Jesus. Skeptical people being loved over and over again, same lost people, developing relationships, praying for people, sharing about Jesus in natural ways, on mission, church begins to grow. The city is so impressed, they actually said, hey church, would you now tackle the 902 section? And they said, no, because we're not done loving these people and we're developing relationships. We're not about to just like do something and run. We're in it for the long haul. Whoa. But what if every church took on a section of our city as a thought? What if every church said, we're going to love and serve a particular ministry outside of our walls to love the same lost people over and over and over and, and love them into the kingdom of God? Because we're not in Christendom anymore. Opening the church doors and having a great music team and smoke beams and all that fun stuff, lasers, all great. But it's not going to win people to the kingdom because they're not coming. They don't care. So mission means we have to go love them where they are, which means the church has to leave the building. That's the new world we're in. One more example. Church in Orange County went through our process, and they actually decided they were going to love the city hall. City Hall happened to be a couple blocks away from the, where the church building was located. They had some connections with people in the city hall. So they decided, we're going to love the people who work at city hall. And they knocked on the door of the city halls that we're here to love and serve you. And they said, no. Church and state, keep it separate. No, no, no. So what did that church do? They went home and put their tail between their legs. They said, I guess God hasn't spoken. Never mind. 
No, they went back two weeks later. Hey, we're here. We want to love and serve you. Did this three times. Finally, the city says, oh, you're bugging us. All right, fine. Here's the deal. We have this ribbon-cutting ceremony at this one business that we're going to be honoring. If you'd come and pick up the trash, that'd be great. So all 50 people, small church, all 50 people showed up Saturday morning, stood around the back, little crowd control, picked up the trash. And that, now, did they wear T-shirts that said, come worship with us? No. Did they pass out brochures, come to our church on Sunday morning? No. No, they just showed up and loved people. They did what they were instructed to do, and the city went, oh, that wasn't so bad, you weren't weird. You know, we've got this other thing in a couple weeks. Could you guys help with that? You bet. Six months, they did projects like that. Earned the right to be heard. City began to say, you know, you guys have been really helpful to us. And they kind of let them in the doors, and the people would go around and put cake pops in people's little, you know, pen dishes and things, and just kind of loving people, and being, just being in City Hall. They weren't so weird. They were actually the really cool people that loved people. And eventually, the mayor and the city council said, hey, hey, pastor and leaders, can you guys help us work with drug abuse amongst youth in our city now? Oh, now we're in the big stuff. All right, trash was the entryway, but now we're doing big solutions to big, deep, endemic problems. They earned the right to solve the problems of the city. City council person years later said, I don't know where our city would be without the Banner Church. They've contributed to our community in ways we could never repay. So they're blessing the city in a practical way, but they're making followers of Jesus of all those city council and, and people who work in city hall as they slowly see these Christians actually acting like Jesus. And slowly they start winning hearts in city hall. Now, when you have a whole city hall following Jesus, that's pretty cool. But again, you earn your way in through service instead of starting with truth and preaching because we're in a new world. We live like Jesus and watch what God does. Does this make sense? You get it? This is a new world we're in. So I think it's kind of like dominoes, right? There's two ways to play dominoes. There's the real way which is something about those little numbers and you like stick them together and you make trains or so. I don't understand that part. I like dominoes where you line up all the dominoes in, like stand them all up and you knock them over. That's the cool way, right? You've seen those videos on YouTube of like a million pieces and they have the big colors and they do all this stuff. Like, but it all starts with one, right? The first one has to topple over and the chain reaction begins. I think Jesus took 12 guys, trained them, said, here's the kingdom, Holy Spirit's going to come, and they were like the first dominoes that start the process. And then it goes. As you go on, live on mission, you don't know what kind of an impact you're going to have down the road. Because that one friend across, in the home across from you, or in the bank, or wherever you are, eating us fast foods, you never know as you love somebody how it starts a chain reaction. Now, fun thing about dominoes, I also learned in researching dominoes that actually, a domino, here's, the, here's the, how it works. A domino can knock over another domino that is one and a half times larger than itself. So to watch how this works, you have to see the physics of this. Check out this little video here. Maybe I'm just a nerd, but I think that's cool. <laughs> little itty bitty start, big influence. So I, I think perhaps we're all the little itty bitty domino. And yet we have a big God and a big Holy Spirit 
And if we live in word, deed, and power, and we just show up and be faithful, God can do some pretty amazing stuff if we'll just show up. So, I hope that you'll come and join us this week. We're going to have a fun time unpacking the realities of of the world in which we live. We're going to talk about missiology and mission and how do we do this kind of stuff as we move as followers in the 21st century in North America. I think we're going to have a fun time. Worship team's going to be great. When praying, the Spirit's going to use them powerfully. My encouragement to you is to be bold, be winsome, listen to the Holy Spirit, and allow yourselves to be used on mission, and you never know how big a domino will fall. Because God has used you to start a chain reaction. Can we play in that world? I hope so. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing here at Sky Valley. Thank you for the people that are gathered that want to learn to live like you. So Holy Spirit, I pray you come upon us in a powerful way and use us mightily. That you teach us the ways of the kingdom. That there be much fruit in this community and beyond. Because your people said, yes, here am I, send me. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name for this time together. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.